Welcome back to Pet Chatter 2 and URFM and David Tabbert ready to answer your calls. The good doc is here, the vet's ready to go. Of course, uh, Cheryl Shaw, middle of winter, and you reckon that uh, our, our dogs particularly don't love this time of year, and to be honest, can't blame them. Yeah, look, in wintertime, we've got to really take um, control of where our dogs are sleeping. So if you've got a dog that's outside, we want to make sure that it's not laying on concrete or on, you know, sort of really cold surfaces, particularly when the weather's been wet as well, because if a dog gets wet and it doesn't dry out, the dog's likely, if it's laying on concrete and it's not drying its coat properly, it's likely to get a chill, and this is a problem for dogs. The other thing is if your dog is outside and sleeping in a kennel, make sure that the weather can't get into the kennel. We want to make sure that it's as warm as possible. Another problem that we have is a lot of people have their pets inside and they put on the heater. Now it's okay if you've got air conditioning but when you've got a heater or a fireplace make sure that you're really monitoring your pets because often in cats in particular will lay really close to the heater and they can get burnt. I had a Siamese cat once who you know mm. you could almost smell the fur it was so hot <laughs> and they just don't seem to uh, to realise that they're really scorching themselves. Have you ever seen anything like I've that David? Seen, yeah I've seen the the hairs, the fur, mm. getting singed. Yes, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I haven't seen any that have actually, you know, been that close that they've burnt the flesh, yeah. luckily. But certainly, yeah, when that smell goes around yeah. the house. Yeah, so when you do have a heater on, make sure that you're not playing games inside with the dogs. Often we, you know, have a, a toy and we toss. Make sure you oh. don't do that because you can very easily, the dog can knock it over and then obviously we could have some quiet. Uh, yeah, you've got big, some big problems then. Yeah. I think it's funny though with the cat, Cheryl, jump, they go right up close to the heater. They don't actually put two and two together. That They're the ones that... A singeing. Yes, yeah. It is really strange <laughs> They'll be like, behaviour. there's something going on around here. Just, oh, it, it's um, me. Yeah, Mark, I'm just going to pull you up there, Mark. I don't think cats are that good on math. <laughs> two and two. But, Fair enough. But they do, and, and I think particularly as they get a bit older and maybe they've got either movement problems, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's uncomfortable to move, and once they're in a really good position, they don't want to move that much. And the other thing is that um, they may well have sleeping problems. So they could fall into a really deep sleep, even during the middle of the day. You're there, maybe the heat is on, um, and you don't think that... Uh well, they should just get up and move. Yeah, but they don't. Yeah, you've got to keep an eye mm. on them. And this is another thing too. A lot of dogs that um, have arthritis in wintertime are you know, really slow to get up. They are stiff and they're not so, so able to get up quickly. So making sure that if your um, dog is an arthritic dog and the, the effects of winter really do um, sort of aggravate arthritis, get your dog along to the vet because the vets can give you some you know, medication or injections to really help mm. that. And that is a thing that you know, we notice a different ailments in ourselves but dogs the same will present with you know sort of that immobility um, more in winter time than you notice in summer so it is a good idea to get them checked the other thing is if you're going out walking and it's and it's raining make sure you put a raincoat on your dog just so that you don't let the dog to get so saturated that it um, takes a long time to dry the dog and obviously this is where our chills come in uh, our habits change as well during the winter time. Often because it's dark early morning and of an evening, we sometimes don't take the dog for a walk. We need to make sure that we're giving them plenty of stimulation though. They do need to have activities. Otherwise, and particularly if you've got a younger dog, you can start having dogs that demonstrate sort of... Um, you know, destructive behaviour or they become quite bored. So, you know, making sure that you're still entertaining them, you know, if you run around the yard even, just something just to change that, um, the fact that you've changed your routine and the dog's routine has changed with it.
So how, how hard is it, guys, if we do that change routine? Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's darker early or, or whatever, not going for a walk. Then the summertime comes and then you want to get back into that routine. Do we find that those dogs find it easy or harder to adjust going back at the other end of winter? Oh, they just love it. You know, the mm. winter blues is a real thing. It happens for mm. people. You know, we do some people become really depressed. Dogs get a little bit like that as well because their activities have changed so much. They're not getting that stimulation that they need. They're not getting usually those morning, you know, walks, early morning walks, long evening walks, just that our routines are so different. But they do adjust very quickly and they do enjoy getting out and about. Being out for a dog is really important. They're taking in so many sights and smells, and that is helping their brain. They they just it's like a newspaper, you know. They're reading everything and they're out walking. It's it's great great for dogs. Just without the ads. Yeah, without yes. the ads. Yeah. But um, you know, there is a thing you can do if it's cold. You can snuggle up on the you know in the lounge with your puppy and um, or your dog and a blanket. And obviously, with the way the uh, the energy might be going it might be the way we'll do things to keep it's warm together yeah you know the, the three dog nights situation if it's cold get your dogs and snuggle but if you've only got two don't go out and get another dog oh i hope david's listening three dog nights. <laughs> oh no <laughs> no two dogs is fine for me um i have seen a lot of people too with their dogs sleeping on the bed and go connecting the arthritis and things like that they've actually got uh, steps built yes for the dogs to get on and off the bed so um, I remember seeing someone recently who, with their dog, um, was a Dachshund, and we were talking about um, back injury, spinal injury, and their dog sleeps on the bed, and that's a real big question for me. How does this dog that is at risk of spinal injury mm-hmm. get themselves onto the bed? And they're like, oh, no, no, we've got stairs. So there's stairs for the dog to get onto the bed. Yeah, I mean, Love as it. they sort of age, they can't just jump up like they did when they were a six-month-old puppy. Or jump off. Mm. Yeah. yeah. See, that's the problem is they actually do think they can jump off. Yeah. So you've got to train them to use the stairs. And this is part of the thing of being inside winter and so Yeah, on. that's right. Yep. And there are ramps as well you can get as stairs. So yes. the ramps are good particularly for your dash hounds with a longer body that can't yep. really do those stairs. Yeah, but we do have to adapt our dogs. All right, that's the uh, the winter blues. It's uh, got us all depressed about the middle of winter now. Oh. Thanks, guys. Oh, it's almost the shortest day of the year. I know. It, it is nice outside. No yeah. winter blues for the dogs today. No. no. Pet chat continuing on a uh, Wednesday afternoon. Cheryl Shaw is here. She's uh, taking care of those winter blues. Plenty of sunshine in your life at the moment, yeah? <laughs> yes. And Dr. David Tabbert is here. And, uh, David, you want to stick with dogs for a moment. Dogs, uh, Particularly yes. dogs that may be having puppies. So some thoughts on that. I know, because... Even though it's not spring, dogs have pups all year round. And we've seen a couple recently where we've had to do caesareans. And I thought, well, that's actually quite a good topic because, you know, a lot of people might get dogs and hopefully you, you get them de-sexed and you don't want to have too much trouble on your hands. So just one's enough unless it's cold and you need three. <laughs> um, but if uh, in certain circumstances we've got dogs where people are breeding them and, you know, they can breed naturally, they can birth naturally, or the word in dogs is whelp, W-H-E-L-P, which I think means we need help. <laughs> Either that or it's the sound the dog was making whelp. at some point. <laughs> Somebody wrote whelp. it down, thought this will do. Um, and when they're whelping, sometimes they get into trouble and we have to think about doing a caesarean. Mm. So um, I reckon just in my career, I've probably done about 700 caesareans. That, procedures. That seems a lot. It's a random guess, but mm. um, I know in the first five years I did um, well over three, 300. 
so it's been quite a few. Um, why does it happen? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One is sometimes we get this rare occasion, and I'm going to say this first because it is rare, where the, uh, the mother dog, the bitch, just does not push. Nothing happens. So they're actually hormonally and time-wise, they're due to give birth, but zero things happen. It's pretty rare, but um, I have seen it once or twice. And those dogs, it doesn't matter. If I give them medication, drugs to help them push, you know, the oxytocin and stuff, nothing happens. Uh, and those dogs, we just have to go to cesarean. Otherwise, those pups are not coming out. Um, but more commonly, what we see is the dog will start to whelp, uh, start to give birth, and they're pushing, and then for whatever reason, puppy gets stuck. Now, a lot of the time people think, well, the puppy's too big. That may be so, but we tend to think of this as what we call a fetal, a materno-fetal malproportion. So basically, it's a combination of the pup and the mother's pelvis not being, you know, uh, uh, aligned in size. So you've, yes, the pups might be too big, or the mother's pelvis is too small, or both at once. Um, what tends to happen, we see that particularly where we've got uh, dogs that have got low numbers of pups in the litters, so one or two, because basically those puppies have just been in there uh, for the nine weeks that the, the, pup, uh, the mother is pregnant and they've grown. They've taken all the nutrients, all the blood flow, and so they've been able to grow to a larger size than they would have if there was, say, four, five or ten pups. And so that's a huge d difference, isn't it? I mean, you say one or two, which is the is is not the norm, but anything up to nine or ten is. Or more. Yeah. Oh, more. Yeah, easy. I've seen um, pups whelp um, twelve, thirteen. Sorry, the mothers whelp twelve mm. or thirteen pups, um, and that creates other problems because often they don't have enough milk, they don't have enough teats to supply the mm. milk, so you end up with puppies that aren't thriving and there's a lot of work to be done mm. so it's kind of like there, there is a bit of a sweet spot but the thing that happens with these low numbers and i particularly see this in very smaller breeds things like chihuahuas cavaliers will often have uh, low numbers of pups and in those circumstances you know you're almost guaranteed that you're going to require cesarean surgery so the the mother's going to push for a while but it's either you know cork in a bottle trying to get that pup out and it's just not going to go. Or what ha tends to happen also is they actually will start to push and it's a bit tough and the uh, uterine muscle just becomes fatigued. They just get worn out, you know. So we've got a few basic rules for people. One is that if your um, dog is having pups and they uh, pass a, a green or red discharge before a puppy, that is an emergency. And they should be seen within 20, 30 minutes. Um, if they've had a pup and then there's nothing, no other pup presented in two hours. Now, the thing about the two-hour rule is I start the clock from when the first puppy comes out, okay? Because what tends to happen is they'll have two puppies really close together and then a bit of a break or three puppies or whatever. So... Yes, it is a two-hour window, but you've got to wait. You've got to allow time for the puppies to move down to the uterus, to the through the uterus, to the birth canal, and then come out. So that two-hour window is like the first puppy, and then maybe we have one an hour later, but the clock's still going. So by the time we get to the third one, it's like, well, are we within a six-hour window? 
um, and that helps people to work out whether they need um, any veterinary assistance. Gee, it takes them a bit of a while to get down there, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, well, you can, can imagine do. if imagine if you've got thirteen puppies, yeah. you're going to be doing this for a while. Um, but don't. The other thing is, if your dog is having a pup and it's actively pushing for thirty minutes and nothing's happened, mm-hmm. you need to get to the vet because that probably is an obstruction. And those puppies will be in distress. And we can check that with an ultrasound. We look at the heart rate of the puppy, see how much they're distressed and make a determination, you know, do we need to do a cesarean surgery? To so NURFM 103.7 as we uh, continue with Pet Chat this afternoon. Cheryl Shaw is here, as is Dr. David Tabret. And uh, good, after- good afternoon, uh, Paul. Uh, you're at uh, Chisholm there. What's going on? Okay, so let's pick in it. Uh, I'm sure, um, was clipping our dog and whipped off uh, a little node or a little wart-type growth. She's got a few of these over her. But this one um, got whipped off. We didn't realise because that she bled a bit and the coat got matted over the top of it. Anyway, we worked out there was something a bit wrong, so got her to the vet yesterday. Uh, we've been prescribed uh, gabapentin and emoxiclav. Now, all very well and good. Um, the wound is dried out, but it's still quite open. Um, and one of our neighbours is saying um, that they swear by a little dab of betadine on the wound and it will accelerate the healing process. So I just, thought, just wondered, is, is that appropriate? Um, usually, like the pharmaceutical betadine that you buy, you know, you can put on open cuts and so on from that you get from yep. the pharmacy um, it's not my first go-to for that sort of story, though. I, I reckon just salty water is as good as anything. All right. Okay. So there is yeah. some evidence um, because we use betadine. Actually, we don't use it that much now. When I first came through after uni, we used to use betadine a lot in the clinics, um, and it was a concentrate. And we would dilute it and use it as a pre-surgical scrub, um, right. apart from the fact that it used to stain everything. But we actually have since discovered is that it's probably not the best thing to be using near open tissue. Um, right. So the, the wound creams that you buy that are betadine based are actually, uh, the dilution of the cream means that you're only getting a low level of iodine. But, yeah. um, but for something like that, I, I would think probably twice a day with salty water, which is one teaspoon of salt in a cup of water that's boiled and cooled. Right, and okay. that, that ratio of a teaspoon of salt to a cup of water is about um, provides a saline concentration. You can actually get saline um, flushes from pharmacies right. as well, but yep. you'll pay a lot more than you would for a yeah, teaspoon sure. of salt. And yeah. I would just use that, dab that on twice a day, and I think you'll find that'll heal up just as quickly as anything else. Okay. Thanks very much for the guidance. No worries. Sorry. Thanks, Paul. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, all right. Thank you so much, Paul and Cheryl. I know you've been trying to rack your brain there thinking, it wasn't one of my people, was it? It wasn't one of mine. <laughs> I think with that too, there is something that they need to make sure that the hair is um, kept off that that's oh, yeah. while it's healing so that it doesn't get any infection there. Yeah, because the, the bleeding meant that the hair was matted over yes. it. So you want to keep it clean. One of the principles we're trying to get there with a lot of these minor wounds is they're uh, sanitised, if you like, with the salt water. Don't, yes. I'm not, don't use alcohol. Um, and, and then we want it to dry out. Yes. Okay, and that will form a little bit of a scab over the top and underneath the scab will be protected 
from bacteria. I mean, this dog's on antibiotics as well, which is great. Um, and then that will allow it to heal. So, yeah, keep the hair off it as well, yeah. Paul. All right, good on you, Paul. John at Nelson Bay, uh, your dog has been diagnosed with Cushing's. Good afternoon, John. Yeah, good afternoon, mate. How are you? G'day, John. What's uh, yeah. What sort of dog, what breed of dog have you got? Uh, she's a little um, Shih Tzu, yeah. bits and piece type one, you know, a Heinz variety dog. Yeah, I just sort of wanted a little bit more information on it. It's just not real clear on, on you know, they, she's had four or five blood tests to, to, to come to this conclusion. Mm. Um, and they just said the other day that she has got Cushing's. Now, I'm just wondering, is there anything other than medication you can do for her or you know, anything like that, or is it just medication until this takes effect and that's, a, that's sort of it? So just to give um, yourself and everybody a little bit, bit of background, Cushing's is uh, the name for the human disease, but we use it for dogs, and it's a, a disease known as hyperadrenocorticism, Hyperadrenocorticism. No wonder they stick with Cushing's. Yeah, it's a lot easier. (laughs) Um, And so basically the adrenal glands which sit next to the kidneys in humans and in dogs um, are involved in a number of different um, processes, including the production of cortisol, hence the name, and hyper meaning there's an excess of cortisol being produced. Now, the thing about Cushing's in dogs and the reason why i ask the dog breed is because we generally and it's general see the cause of this disease occurring in two ways so for larger dogs when we see cushings we're more suspicious that they have a tumor in their adrenal gland actually Uh sitting next to the kidney but the adrenal glands are actually under the control of a hormone from the pituitary gland in the brain and so for smaller dogs it's generally again it's more likely that we have what's called a microadenoma tumour in the pituitary gland. So you might think, oh, no, brain tumour. Okay. But it's micro, meaning it's just a number, a few cells that are not responding to the normal feedback. And so basically they're just telling the adrenal gland, hey, we need more cortisol, we need more cortisol. And the adrenal gland produces the cortisol and the pituitary gland just goes, we need more cortisol, we need more cortisol. Now, fair enough, except the cortisol, whilst it's helpful in certain circumstances for our body and certainly necessary, too much of a good thing, of course, um, is not so good. So it has deleterious effects on our health, on on your dog's health. Um, Essentially, because of a number of those factors, the medication is the best way to go. Uh, There's no sort of operation you can do to remove these little things or... No, well, the pituitary gland is very important for the control of a whole lot of different um, hormonal functions throughout the body. So not just the adrenal gland, it controls, you know, produces hormones that control a whole lot of other things, including things like growth hormone. It it affects the thyroid glands, a whole lot of stuff. So we generally, we want to leave the pituitary gland alone. There is circumstances where sometimes they develop what's called a macroadenoma, where that those few cells actually turn into a bigger tumour. Um, mm-hmm. Those dogs will develop, and it's pretty rare, I have to tell you, I've probably seen one or two in 35 years. Yep. Um, those dogs will develop signs of brain dysfunction, um, and it's fairly subtle in the early stages. So 99.999% of dogs, with particularly small dogs with Cushing's, have a microadenoma and... Um, medication is the way to go and that what what we're trying to do there is to block these 
deleterious effects of the cortisol, um, but it does mean that it's a lifelong problem. Right, so does it, um, um, because she has this now, does that shorten her lifespan as such? If it's untreated, yes. But if treatment, we're generally, um, I can't tell you the exact numbers, but um, obviously the goal with treatment is that we're restoring her health back to as if she didn't have it. Um, What we do need to remember, though, is that we're giving medication which affects the production of this hormone, and the hormone is is required in the body at certain times. So Mm -hmm. it, it does require close monitoring. And generally that might mean a blood test once or twice a year once you get through this initial phase. Um, And as long as you follow the instructions, then, you know, they should be able to live a long and happy life. Oh, beauty, beauty. All right. I appreciate that, mate. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, John. All right. 2NURFM 103.7 more of Pet Chat. That's how we spend our afternoons around here. And we, we usually do it with these two delightful individuals with the biggest smiles on their faces. Just for one hour. I know. Just for one hour. Cheryl Shaw, very excited. Uh, glad to have you with us. And Thank Dr. You. David Tabbert, I think you're happy because you're off for, what, a few weeks holiday after this? No, no. I'm, I've got to go up to Queensland to do some work next week. Right. Then Cheryl, I'm, then well, I'm on, now, on Cheryl, holidays. why don't you love how these conferences, they're never at, like, regular places. They're always, there's a resort Re- involved. Regular places. What, like? Now you're going to get into trouble with everybody who lives in these places. Yeah, well. Newcastle. Oh, no, well, I love Newcastle. Yeah, I, would, no. I would bring the conference here. Except we need a venue that will hold 900 people. I'm sure we can find with one. With accommodation I'm attached. I'm sure you can find one. Where, where are we We're going to get calls from Newcastle Council in a second. Saying, so we've got hey, a venue. Yes. What's the conference? Yeah. Uh, what sort of people? Bring it along. <laughs> All right. In the meanwhile, good afternoon, Rebecca at Highfields. Your dog is uh, falling over a lot. What's happening? Yeah, g'day. Hello. Uh, look, I volunteer for Dog Rescue Newcastle. Mm-hmm. Um fantastic organisation and I put my hand up to foster a little a little dog, little Maltese dog um, in tw- like long story short um, a dog was rescued in a backyard in Windale um, just living amongst rubbish and upturned cars and old caravans and just, the dogs were just running around in the backyard not fed, not looked after or anything like that yeah. uh, unfortunately the mother was reported dead um, from starvation, so she died from starvation and was found covered in parasites and ticks, and all of her skin was completely matted. Anyway, yeah. uh, she had a little boy, um, but his cerebellum didn't develop properly because he didn't get any food or nutrients during in utero. Um, so, how so old had, is he now? Do you think, Rebecca? Well, I took him to the vet for a, a check. Um, we thought he was about eight months, but he's uh, about a year, about a oh, year okay. old. Yep. Um, and he's he's got obviously major balance issues. So he he's fine. He walks along behind me, um, keeps up with my other little dogs. So we go for two walks a day. He's fine. Um, and we put mats down at the, on the house, and I tend to walk him on the sand and the grass. But because um, he wobbles around a lot and hasn't got control of his balance, um, he does. You know, if I walk him around the streets, he'll fall over and bang his head and smash his head on the. Yeah. And it, you know, like a rugby league player just, or a boxer, you know, just constant blows to the skull. Um, I'm just worried, is that going to exacerbate or further cause damage if he's continually kind of banging his head on tiles and tarmac? And... Well, I'm, it can't be great, can it? You know, no, um, no. it's probably also the risk of injury to things like the skin and so on around his head or 
any part that he abrades as well. So there's, you know, there might need to be wound care if there's injuries like that that break through the skin. As far as the brain's going, probably, I mean, it's possible it could exacerbate it. One of the things that um, you got to think about, though, is the brain is pretty well protected yeah. in, in the skull. So we've got this very hard bony case and then it's actually got liquid all around it yeah. and it's suspended by yeah. a, a mesh inside, hanging inside this pool of liquid. Now, um, there's usually only a small amount of uh, liquid that circulates around our brain and through the brain and the, it's called cerebrospinal fluid and it actually travels down the, um, down the spinal cord all the way to the bottom, and then it's absorbed into blood vessels right down near the tail. Um, so one of the things that happens, and just going back to the cerebellum thing, is that, oh. so for others uh, as well who may not know, so the cerebellum is like the part of the brain, it looks like a cauliflower that sits at the back of the brain, mm -hmm. has a number of different functions. One of the functions that we think that it's predominantly involved in is coordination um, mm -hmm. of movement. So the... The part of the brain that initiates movement is usually the thinking part of the brain, like the cerebrum or the forebrain. Um, so if I reach out to pick something up, um, that initial movement is uh, triggered by the cerebrum, but it's the cerebellum that allows me to pick it up smoothly. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, yeah. what, what tends to happen is I would overshoot or undershoot. Um, well, that's what he does. Yeah. So he like he might be trottling, trottling along, and I'll call his little Billy, come on, Billy, and yeah. it'll take three or four seconds for him to stop and then turn around, you know, to recognise yeah. that I've called out to him. Um, and yeah, he just he wobbles around a lot. When you pick him up, he also can urinate a little bit just because uh, he hasn't got control. Um, yeah, but anyway, I've adopted him. Well, and I've ended I, up with him. yeah, I just wonder if perhaps there's other parts of the brain that probably are just as equally affected. Um, and I think going back to the original question, there may be a risk that he'll have some further brain injury, hopefully mm -hmm. not, but I guess the part that I'm focusing on is would it make a difference? Well, um, I guess what I'm focusing on yeah. the fact that he's, he's getting this second chance at life. He's got um, three other little dogs that he, he's in a little pack. You know, yeah. he's loved beyond belief and take him to the beach, take him down to Redhead and take him walking and love him and look after him. So he's, he's you know, is that a bit? Is that that's better than? Absolutely. I mean, that's it. That's a life well lived now where you're at, and I think the adjustments that you've made for his exercise are perfect, and I think he's in a you know in a great place to enjoy his life. All right, thank you so much. So we did have one more call. We just didn't uh, not going to get time for that one, but uh, Cheryl, in thirty seconds, Steve at Brankson, he's had a dog that's ripped out two nails, doesn't like being groomed. Got some tips? Oh, I think he might need to, to anesthesia. Go, yeah, to the vet for that one. That's definitely, a, that's an anesthesia. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a nice quick fix. Well, yep. not in the long run. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> yep. For us today, it's a quick fix. Yep. All right, thanks for that. Thanks to everybody that called was a part of Pet Chat. We look forward to hearing uh, your calls again next week. Cheryl, back next week for you. Yes. So we look forward to seeing your smiling Thank face. You. Dr. David, who's, what are you I'll doing? Be, He's organising flights. I know. I'll be, He's organising flights I'll on that computer. I'll be sitting by the pool in warm No, I'm working. What am I talking about? <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, guys. Have a great week. Cheers. Uh, more Pet Chat again next week. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.